The 18th Judicial District has about a fifth of Colorado's population, easily the state's most populated district. Some of the country's most notorious violent crimes since the 1990s have happened in the district. The 18th has also never had a Democratic district attorney. In 2016, incumbent George Brockler ran unopposed. But this year has competition. In the last episode of Hearsay's Elected Justice series on this season's district attorney races, we talked with Republican candidate John Kellner. He's a career prosecutor who has worked in the 18th district since 2013. In this episode, I talk with Amy Padden, a former attorney general candidate who's now seeking the distinction of election as the district's first Democratic district attorney. Welcome back to Hearsay from Law Week, Colorado. I'm Julia Carty. Amy Padden has spent time in private practice, in the U.S. Attorney's Office, and with the state attorney general. She most recently worked in the 5th District to start up an adult diversion program in the jurisdiction. The 5th District is made up of mountainous Lake, Eagle, Clear Creek, and Summit counties in western Colorado. Padden has branded herself as a candidate focused on crime prevention measures, and when she talks about traditional punitive prosecution approaches, it's to reiterate her view they aren't making communities safer. But you will hear her talk a lot about reducing racial disparities in the criminal court system, and she doesn't mince words about the, quote, mess she believes George Brockler has created in the 18th District. Patton has branded herself as a candidate focused on crime prevention measures, and when she talks about traditional punitive prosecution approaches, it's to reiterate her view they aren't making communities safer. But you will hear her talk a lot about reducing racial disparities in the criminal court system, and she doesn't mince words about the, quote, mess she believes George Brockler has created in the 18th District. Was the 5th Judicial District job getting the diversion program started a role that you took with an eye toward running for an elected DA position at some point? Yes, I, had had, I hadn't filed to run, but I, I knew that I was definitely considering running for this race at, at that point in time. And it was, a, it was a perfect opportunity. You know, Bruce Brown, the DA up there, I, I know him from my AG run and my work at the U.S. Attorney's Office. When I was at the U.S. Attorney's Office, I also had this position. I was the law enforcement coordinator for the whole state. So in charge of, you know, providing a yearly and annual training to law enforcement officers. And that's where I got to know um, D.A. Brown. And uh, he had been trying to set up this program for a while, but, you know, hadn't had the staffing together. And now he had money to pay for the staffing. And it was just perfect timing, something that I was really interested in pursuing. Why do you think you're the best one for the job in the 18th? I know we're in need of real reform in the 18th Judicial District, and I think this requires new leadership from the outside. You know, for prosecutors, I feel like we've been focused too long on just punishing the criminal behavior rather than trying to identify ways to prevent crime in the first place, because that is going to make our communities safer. And I think I'm the best candidate for the job because I have actual experience implementing reform like our diversion programs. And diversion programs are really important, not just because they give the offender a second chance and we connect them with the tools they need to turn their lives around, but also because the recidivism rates are so much lower with diversion programs. The recidivism rates with most diversion programs are about you know, 10 to 15%, so 85 to 90% people who successfully complete an adult diversion program are going to go on to be law-abiding citizens and they're not going to commit another felony offense. Whereas if we send someone to the Department of Corrections, we have a really bad recidivism rate in our state right now. 
I've been hearing it's around 50%, 50%. And so if you think about that, we send someone into the Department of Corrections, they've got a, a 50-50 chance of committing another crime. Once they've already served their debt to society, they serve their time. And that's not making our community safer. You know, and we've seen for far too long policies like the war on drugs are failed. They don't work. And so we need to be more innovative. And if we are more innovative, we're going to make our community safer, which obviously is a top priority of the district attorney. But the other reason I think I'm the best choice for the job is because I recognize that racial inequities exist in our criminal justice system, and I'm committed to addressing them, and I'm committed to addressing them in the 18th Judicial District in particular. And, and so I'm committed to reviewing the data that we have on file in the 18th to look through the life of the case because prosecutorial discretion comes into play at several points in times throughout the case. So, you know, what charges are filed, whether someone's held with cash bail or whether they're given a personal recognizance bond, whether or not a plea deal is offered, what sentence is asked for at trial. And so we need to do, we need to look at that data and determine where race has infected and influenced those decisions and then move forward to address those inequities. And this is something that, you know, this race is getting a lot more attention than it had in past cycles. And I think precisely for those reasons, because the public is demanding that we address the racial inequities in our criminal justice system. And I'm here to do that. Zeroing in a little bit. So we do have data, at least through the CLEAR Act, that does show that racial minorities are overrepresented in the criminal court system in the 18th district at just about every stage, you know, from arrest to case outcome, like you mentioned. So can you just talk a little bit more specifically about what kind of tools in a prosecutor's toolbox would you use to better understand, but then also, you know, try to to reduce those inequities? I would advocate the use of an outside consultant. I think that's taking place in the Denver DA's office right now, so they can do a completely you know, unbiased look at the data and determine, you know, where those inequities are showing up and then find ways to address them. So diversion courts will be a key part of that in my uh, under my administration. Right now, we do have an adult diversion program in the 18th Judicial District. It's very difficult to find information about it. It's my understanding that it's quite small, that it has about 50 participants in it. And, it, you know, we're talking about a jurisdiction with over a million people where we had close to 50 participants in my diversion program in the 5th Judicial District with a tenth of the population up there. So the diversion program needs to be much more vibrant, and we need to make sure that it's being offered on an equal basis to defendants and that we're not favoring offering diversion to white defendants as opposed to minority defendants. And one way to address that are blind referrals to have someone other than the prosecutor who's been assigned to the case initially make the referral. That's one way to, to address that. Uh, but you know, diversion courts are, I mean, sorry, diversion programs are critically important because that's also going to address our over-incarceration rate. And we know we have disproportionately numbers of, of minorities incarcerated in our state. And so those, those things are all going to be key moving forward. And then just also having policies once we have the data available and once we've been able to review it, have policies and maybe we're going to have, you know, certain blind charging decisions or things like that to make sure that we're doing everything we can to address the racial inequities that are inherent in our system. I know that this year, 
in the past legislative session that a bill to collect demographic data on defendants, I know that that was something that was a casualty of the, the pandemic, you know, after the legislature reconvened. Is that type of a policy something that you would either actively advocate for or support if it was something that the legislature would consider again? Yes, yes, I do support that. And I was sad to see that removed, but totally understand the legislature, I thought, did an amazing job under very difficult certain circumstances to get Senate Bill 217 passed. But I would support that data collection. So I think that's, again, that's critically important. And that's how the people that may not believe that these inequities exist, this is how we're going to show it. You know, I had an event with the Attorney General of Oregon State during the primary, and she was talking about a similar thing that they did in Oregon, reviewing that data. And she said until they had that data, there were certain sheriffs in her state that were just like, no, this isn't a problem. This isn't happening. But when she had the data, she could go to them and say, no, look at this data. And they said, okay, you're right. And so let's figure out what we need to do to address this. So I think getting as much information like that that we can is critically important. Can you just talk more specifically about what about criminal prosecution and, and the, the court system within the 18th district do you think needs reform? There are several things that need reform. One in particular that can be somewhat done by the DA, but would also be helpful to have a legislative change is our cash bail system. You know, if someone has been arrested for an offense and they are held on cash bail, they haven't been found guilty and they're presumed innocent under our system. Yet, if they can't come up with, you know, a few thousand dollars or whatever is required to post a bond, they, they sit in jail for weeks and maybe months waiting for their court date. And you know, what's going to happen during that time frame? They lose their job. They might lose their house. That, you know, they might lose their family. And just ends up, I feel like, being a vicious cycle. If someone is, you know, in such circumstances, they're living paycheck to paycheck like many people are today, especially during COVID, and can't come up with money to post a cash bail. And then they're just going to be in even more dire circumstances after they've waited for their trial. And so that really needs a serious reform. And, you know, the, what the DA can do on the front end, and we've actually seen this happen during the COVID crisis, is it's ultimately up to the court, uh, the judge, as to what, whether there's going to be cash bail and how much, how much the bond is. But, you know, the DA makes recommendations and the judges often listen to those recommendations. And so, you know, I, I think there was actually a lot of good work done both in the 18th and in the 5th where I used to work. I think in the, they managed to reduce the jail population by about 40% in Arapahoe County and also did that in Eagle County during the COVID crisis because they were worried that jails were becoming a, become a hotspot to transmit COVID. And most of that was done by, you know, reducing or eliminating the use of cash bail for these lower level offenses. And so I think that's, that's a critically important thing to do. And, you know, I know we've already talked about it a lot, but, but diversion is critically important. You know, we need to find alternatives to incarceration, like diversion, like more specialty courts. We, for too long, I think, have been just locking people up and throwing away the key. And again, that doesn't make our communities any safer because the chances of recidivism are too high. But the other great thing about diversion programs is that they are relatively inexpensive. So if we send someone to the Department of Corrections, it could cost $35,000, $36,000, $37,000 a year. 
where if you put someone in a diversion program like mine, I would say on average, it would cost maybe three to $4,000 per offender, maybe a little more than that. We did have office funds available if the offender needed treatments and was unable to afford it or didn't have insurance or wasn't covered by Medicaid. We had funds available to assist them and make sure they got the treatment they needed. But it, that's a huge difference. And so, and you know, I always make the analogy, like, could you imagine if we spent $35,000 per pupil in our education system, how different things would be. And the final area that I think we need uh, to really take a hard look at is how we're treating juveniles and how we're treating kids who get in trouble in school and what we need to do to break the school to prison pipeline. And again, that, you know, let's look at trying to prevent criminal behavior in the first place or address its causes rather than just punishing the actions. So, you know, if a kid gets in trouble in something at school, can that be handled by the school disciplinary process rather than by a charge in juvenile court? And, you know, what else can we as prosecutors do on the front end, both to make our, our schools safer, but also to ensure that we're not catching kids up in the juvenile justice system that don't belong there? You know, that we have a strong juvenile diversion program and that we're collaborating closely with the school districts to see what we can do to help break the school to prison pipeline. The 18th district is different from really any other jurisdiction in Colorado, certainly the biggest jurisdiction within Colorado. So of course that size just brings a huge array of different needs of diversity of the people that live there of, you know, types of crimes. And so I'm just curious, you know, how do you respond to concerns that have been raised that the district might need a, a top prosecutor who has lived and worked in the district for a long time and just understands the unique needs of the district? Yeah, so, you know, it is a very diverse district, you know, and just because somebody lives in Arapaho, both me and my opponent, we both live in Arapaho, doesn't mean they necessarily know the needs of, these, of this other parts of the state. But I've been serving the whole state for most of my public sector career. I've been, when I was at the U.S. Attorney's Office, again, we act as the local counsel for the Department of Justice for the entire state. And we had three different offices across the state. Same thing when I was at the State Attorney General's Office. We bring cases all across the state. We investigate crimes and file charges all across the state. And so that's critically important. And I, I have practiced in rural Colorado. As I mentioned, you know, I handled cases in Warfno and Alamosa and Sawatch County. And then most recently, you know, in Eagle, Summit, Lake and Clear Creek County. So I have worked in a, a bunch of different diverse jurisdictions. And so I actually think that makes me uniquely qualified because I also bring a wealth of experience of knowing how other jurisdictions have done things and how they've addressed the um, issues that have been plaguing both the urban areas within the district as well as the more rural areas in, uh, of the district. And so I think that is critically important and to have someone that's had, you know, worked at all three different levels of government as a prosecutor, as in a DA's office, at the state AG's office, and as a federal prosecutor, you know, that's, that's really a wealth of information and lots of exposure to different ideas, to different leadership, and things like that. And I can bring all that to the table. One thing that seems to be a new issue with the racial protests across the country, you know, we have seen, you know, calls for reform that were 
you know, th that were sparked by an incident in a particular place lead to calls for reform all over the country. How would you handle calls for, you know, reform to, you know, the criminal court system or prosecution when it may be based on something like the death of George Floyd that didn't happen in Colorado? How, how do you go about assessing whether the, you know, the, the reform and changes that is being called for is something that is appropriate for Colorado or for the 18th district, whether it fits in with our needs? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I do feel like, though, many of these calls for reform, these are issues that are nationwide issues. It's just that they've been, now they are at the forefront and people are paying attention. So, you know, for example, when Ahmaud Aubrey was killed, people said, you know, he wasn't charged because the prosecutors saw the video. He was charged because America saw the video and demanded justice for him. And so, you know, there are definitely very, uh, there are different issues going on, but they're all coming out of the same common theme, which is that we have racial inequities in our system and how are we going to address it? But that said, you know, the 18th, again, is very diverse. And so it's going to require working closely with local officials, like working with Aurora City Council to address issues within the Aurora uh, Police Department. You know, and, and I've been endorsed by a number of individuals on the Aurora City Council and the Aurora Public School Boards. And that's another issue is working, you know, as I mentioned, to break the school to prison pipeline. That's going to look different for Aurora Public Schools than for Douglas County Public School District. Um, and so, and a lot of those decisions do belong at the local level, you know, obviously about how the schools are run what roles SROs have within the schools, you know, what type of oversight there is for the local police department. So part of it is going to be working collaboratively with those elected officials to determine what the best outcome is for their particular jurisdiction or city. But then, you know, there are things that are just systemic, not just within the 18th, but within our whole country, like the racial inequities that we've already been talking about. And so for those, they require a bolder district-wide approach, and in some cases, they you know, may require a statewide approach, and I'll be working closely with the legislators who are supporting me and my campaign to see what we can do to make sure that the reforms that they believe are necessary statewide um, get passed and get implemented. You know, as far as I can tell, the 18th district has never had a Democratic district attorney, and so that just seems like a unique challenge for running as a Democrat in the district. Do you have any thoughts on why you think it is so difficult for um, a Democratic candidate to be elected DA in the district and, and kind of how you think you would be positioned to overcome those challenges? You know, a, a couple of things. Uh, first of all, these DA races, uh, lots of times they were, the DAs were unchallenged. There was no challenger. So for example, when George Brockler ran four years ago, there was no Democratic candidate. And, you know, as often as the case in many of these DA roles is that, you know, the sitting DA would groom who they wanted to succeed them, um, and that person would run sometimes unopposed. But th that's changing very much this cycle. And uh, to be honest, even before, you know, George Floyd and Ahmaud Aubrey, there was increased interest in these races and an increased understanding that the kind of lock them up and throw away the McKee mentality isn't 
again, making our community safer. And it's just, it's ruining people's lives. And people are starting to, I feel, more appreciate and more understand that there is the need for reform in these offices. And the Democrats running are running on reform platforms, whereas Republicans are not. So I think I am uh, well positioned to win this seat. We saw in the primary results that the unaffiliated voters voted in the Democratic primary in my race. Now, granted, my Republican challenger didn't have a primary. And then my Democratic challenger, again, re received a, a significant number of votes himself. And so you know, when we add those all together, there were a lot more people interested in the Democratic side of this race than the Republican side. And, you know, the district itself is also changing as well. It is the majority unaffiliated right now, but you know it is definitely trending Democratic. It's trending blue. A few cycles ago, it was definitely more a, a more Republican jurisdiction. So I do think that people want change, that people realize that the way things have been conducted in this district is not consistent with the values that people want to see in our criminal justice system. And I think that they will see that I'm the best candidate to bring that change. What types of measures might you support if they come up at the legislature, whether that is, again, sentencing reform, pretrial release reform? I know that prosecutor salaries has been more of like a systemic kind of institutional topic in the past. So just what kind of legislative measures, if should they come up, might you support or not support? I think pretrial release reform, which we already talked about, I think that would be helpful to have a legislative change to help address those issues, because then again, we'll have a statewide uniform policy and, and law for that. But the other thing that we haven't talked about that I would really like to see is that in cases of serious police misconduct, I think it would be beneficial to have a unit within the attorney general's office to investigate and prosecute those crimes, because there's often concerns raised about whether there's a conflict between the DA's office and the police department with which they work very closely. And if we had a unit within the state attorney general's office that would do that, first of all, we could have uniform standards across the state, and there could also be individuals there that specialize in that type of work. And it will remove this, whether it's an actual or at least a perceived conflict in those types of investigations. And I mean, in fact, we saw that in the George Floyd case. We saw initially that the local prosecutor, I think it's a county attorney instead of a district attorney in Minnesota, but they only charged one of the officers with third degree murder. And then when the state attorney general stepped in, he charged the other three officers and elevated the third degree murder to a second degree murder charge. And then more recently, we've seen Governor Polis appoint Attorney General Weiser to look into the Elijah McClain case as well, but that was a special appointment. And so, you know, my proposal is, and I've been, I think this might gain some traction possibly next year, is to have this unit that does this as a matter of course, rather than by specific assignments. And I think that could go a long way to addressing these issues that we're seeing as far as police brutality and police misconduct. That was my conversation with Amy Padden. She's the Democratic candidate for DA in Colorado's 18th Judicial District, the state's biggest. In the final episode of Hearsay's Elected Justice series, we'll look at the election in a rural district in eastern Colorado to understand how the characteristics of rural areas affected DA's connections to their community and who runs for the office. Thanks for listening. I'm Julia Carty. See you next time.